Church, let me invite you to open the scriptures this morning. The New Testament letter of First Timothy, if you're using a pew Bible, and certainly would encourage you to do so if you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, then we're on page 961. If you're using your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on, but it should be after First and Second Thessalonians, before Second Timothy and Titus, uh, near the end of the completed portion of God's Word known as the Bible. Uh, well, coming out of last week in First Timothy chapter 2, um, by the way, we're studying through uh, this letter of First Timothy, if you're, if you're joining us or haven't been with us in some time, but coming out of last week, we talked a little bit about uh, some difficult stuff, some of the uh, gender dynamics and gender roles in the life of the church, but I feel compelled this morning to say one thing the ladies clearly have on us men uh, is singing voices. Wasn't that beautiful when the ladies, you sung together, praise God uh, for that. But let's look at uh, the scriptures this morning in First Timothy chapter 3 as we continue studying God's word together. And before we look at the text, I want to pose a couple questions for uh, us to consider. Firstly, uh, what do you look for in a church? What do you look for in a church? Now, what do you look for in a pastor? How should we evaluate a church? How should we measure the health of a particular church? Or perhaps more importantly, uh, what should we strive for? What should we strive to be about in the church into which God has placed us? It's no secret today that churches come in uh, all shapes and, and sizes. And so as a church, what are we to look like and what are we to be about? I think the scriptures help us with those questions. I think the Bible uh, answers those types of uh, questions. In fact, uh, Mark Dever, who's the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., says that the church is the gospel made visible. That the church is, is the gospel made visible, meaning when the church is rightly structured and focused, she portrays the character and the story of Jesus See, God designed the church and her leadership to display his glory and to declare his gospel. The church is God's design. It's his plan. God designed the church and her leadership to display his glory and declare his gospel. I think this is what 1 Timothy chapter 3 communicates. I think this is what we see, what we learn from this portion of the scripture. So let's look at it together uh, and as you find your place there in First Timothy chapter 3, let me invite you uh, again to join me standing for the reading of God's word out of uh, reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. Let's hear the word of the Lord written through Paul. Paul writes, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer des- desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
Verse 8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Let's bow together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active. Lord, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it does not fade away, that it is eternal, that it is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, may your spirit guide us, for we are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, God designed the church and her leadership to display his glory and declare his gospel. If you're visiting with us, we are journeying through this particular letter. We're walking through uh, the New Testament letter of, of 1 Timothy, inviting God to teach us uh, according to his blueprint, his design for the church. We certainly want to be a church that honors God. You know, deep down, I think every church, no doubt, must want to be a church that honors God. I have no doubt that the church in Ephesus in the first century, the church that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy about in order to uh, encourage Timothy to straighten out, no doubt that church uh, wanted to be a church that honored God. But as we've seen here, they had a leadership problem. As went the leaders, so went the church. And so Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning uh, someone called and entrusted with the message of Christ, provides instructions here for the selection of leaders in the church. Who then are the leaders in the church? Well, if you've uh, ever been a part of another church, perhaps you've been involved in numerous churches or are aware of other churches, then you likely know that leadership structures and practices and polity uh, varies quite a bit. From church to church. But according to the New Testament, there are two uh, offices or positions in the church, and and, and both of them are mentioned right here the office of pastor and the office of deacon. So let's begin with the first of these the office of pastor. Pastors, according to the scriptures, are servant leaders who model Christ like character. Pastors are, are, are to be servant leaders who model Christ like character. I'm sure if we were to take a poll, even take a poll in this room this morning among 
church attenders and ask the question, what is a pastor? We might get all sorts of, of responses. Some might say a spiritual advisor or a counselor, someone who, who preaches God's word, someone uh, who's in charge of the church, a motivational speaker, someone entrusted to do weddings and funerals, a professional prayer, etc. We, we could add other things to that. And all of our ideas, whether good or bad, would be informed by pastors that we have encountered. So what do the scriptures say? What, what does the Bible say about pastors? Let's invite God to address the issue. Well, the terms pastor an elder, an overseer, three different words are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same position in the local church. Each of them emphasizing something slightly different. Pastor emphasizes the caring nature of the role. Elder emphasizes spiritual maturity. Overseer emphasizes spiritual leadership. And of course, any time that leadership or authority is granted, there's the potential for abuse and corruption. We know this. Whether it's in politics or business or athletics or entertainment, or yes, even in the church, we know this all too well. With scandal after scandal making headlines, which is why it is absolutely imperative, church, that we listen to God's instructions regarding uh, the positions of leadership in the church and his qualifications for it. Far too many people have been hurt in the church. Far too many folks have been hurt by abusive or immoral or Greedy pastors, and many of them have left the church never to return apart from God's gracious and deliberate intervention. Incredibly, right here in this list of qualifications for uh, these leadership positions, particularly uh, verses 1 through 7, when it comes to the office of elder, pastor, or overseer, there's no detailed list of skills here. Nothing about creativity or, or charisma, but descriptions of character that honors Jesus. In fact, all of the requirements found here, with the exception of, of being able to teach, are expectations of all of us who, who claim to know and to follow Jesus Christ. Yet pastors are called to model Christ-like character as they lead the church under Christ's authority. Under Christ's authority. Called to lead, but not called to lead alone. In fact, I think the New Testament picture of the church is, is neither a dictatorship, nor is it a true democracy. Because everywhere this position is addressed in the scriptures, it seems to refer to a group. A group of elders or pastors or overseers entrusted to lead Christ's church. In Acts chapter 20, we read Paul's specific instructions to the Ephesians, Ephesian elders. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul writes, keep watch. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So whose church is it? Certainly not my church. It's not the pastor's church. It's no one else's church. It is God's church, which he bought with his own blood. Pastors are servant leaders under Christ's authority, caring for Christ's body. Called a care for Christ's body. Body, of course, an image that's used in the New Testament to refer to the church. 
And Jesus is always portrayed as the head of that body. The foundational piece of the church, the cornerstone, the one who is the head, the one who's in, in, in charge, the one who has all authority. And pastors then are called to serve under the headship of Christ as they care for the church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? I want you to know, friends, sometimes those words haunt me. Were haunting me yesterday as I was thinking about today, and I've got some wild ones at home. I wish my house was always in order, but it's not always in in order. But similarly, Peter charges uh, church elders in First uh, Peter chapter five verse two: "Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve." No, good shepherds desire what is best for the flock. For like Jesus, they care for those who've been entrusted to them. Like a good father corrects and, and comforts his children. A good shepherd corrects and comforts a congregation. Pastors are servant leaders who model Christ-like character under Christ's authority, caring for Christ's body and teaching Christ's word. Teaching Christ's word. Verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And here, interestingly, we find the only, the only thing in this list of his actual duties. And it's consistent with a similar list of character qualifications that we find in Paul's instructions to Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse Nine, speaking of the same position, Paul writes, he, meaning the pastor or a pastor, uh, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, in congregations where other pastoral expectations or obligations consume the leadership, preaching and teaching suffers. So church here, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a church that desires to hear the word of God, that wants the scriptures, that wants the message of God to be front and center, that allows me and the other ministers here to have adequate time to prepare for our worship gathering so that the Bible would be proclaimed and that Christ would be exalted so that he would be front and center in all that we What a joy it is to stand before you week after week and to open the Scriptures, to read the Word of God and to invite the Holy Spirit to correct us and to encourage us and to shape us and to rebuke us and to teach us His Word. May the Word of Christ, may the Bible be central in our worship gatherings and all that we do as God's people so that we rightly portray Jesus to one another and to the world. God designed the church and her leadership to display His glory and declare His gospel. Pastors are servant leaders who model Christ-like character. And secondly, deacons, according to the Scriptures, are leading servants who know and reflect Jesus. Deacons are being leading servants in the church who know and reflect Jesus. You see, Paul's list of qualifications for that position, the office of deacon, is not all that different from his list For pastors, quite similar, actually, with one noteworthy exception. 
There's no mention of the necessary requirement of being able to teach. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about deacons, but the word means servant. In fact, it's often translated that way in the New Testament. Referring to one who ministers to and cares for for others. So hold your place here in 1 Timothy. Let's turn to the left to New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 provides a window into the selection of the first deacons in the church. Why they were selected and what kind of men they were to be in the church. Acts chapter 6. We read about the growth of the church. The spread of the gospel in Jerusalem in the first century. And there we read verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. The church was growing. The gospel was spreading. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. That's a, primarily a distinction between culture and language. Hellenistic Jews, those have been influenced by Greek language and culture. and They complained because uh, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2, so the twelve, the apostles gathered all the disciples together. They gathered all the church together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, there's a need that needs to be met, but it's more than we can do. Brothers and sisters, choose seven Men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In church, these seven men became the first church deacons. So what are deacons? Well, deacons are leading servants who know and reflect Jesus, devoting themselves to meeting needs. Devoting themselves to meeting needs in the body. Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. There was a need that wasn't being met in the church. There was a particular need in the church, and deacons were called for the task as representatives of, of the church. were selected and set aside to lead out in a particular ministry. Deacons are leading servants, meeting needs, and supporting the ministry of the word. Supporting the ministry of the word. We see this here in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and following. The twelve gathered disciples together and they said, let's select some folks in the church to represent the church, to serve in this way, to meet this need, to ensure that this, meet, this, this particular need is taken care of, but the ministry of the word and prayer does not go neglected in the process. In other words, the deacons allow the pastors to devote the necessary attention and focus to guiding the church according to God's word. Co-laborers in the gospel, working together as ministers of the church, displaying God's glory and declaring His gospel. In church, when each of these leadership groups functions rightly, the church reaps the benefit. We see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. As a result of decisions of the church and dividing of responsibilities among the leadership of the church, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Deacons are leading servants, meeting needs, supporting the ministry of the word. And thirdly, unifying the body. Unifying the body. So as a result of the humble and sacrificial service of of deacons, as recorded in Acts chapter 6, this unity in the body was addressed and the church grew. Not just numerically, but also in spiritual maturity. 
in a way consistent with the picture of the church we see in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, a picture of the body, a picture of growth together and dependence upon each other, all under the headship of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There we read Ephesians 4 verse 11. The scriptures read, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, working together, benefiting each other so together we might be scripturally uh, grounded that we might grow to serve each other, following the example of leading servants in the church. Pastors are servant leaders who model Christ-like character. Deacons are leading servants who know and reflect Jesus. And finally, churches are local gatherings of God's people, revealing Christ's glory. Churches are to be local gatherings of God's people, revealing Christ's glory. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, listen to the purpose of this letter. Paul writes, he says, although I hope to come to you soon. Timothy, I, I want to come see you. I, w- I want to share these things face to face. I want to encourage one another and instruct one another for the good of the church. I-, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God pillar and foundation of the truth. So what is the church? What should we expect the church to be? What should we strive for the church to be? A portrait of Jesus reflecting the character and the story of Jesus. You know, when I see Will and Ashley's Kids, I know they're they're Gregory's. Likewise, when I when I see Brad and April's kids, they're boys. I know they're Boswells. See the the grown Newton boys here today. When I see uh, Mike and Teresa's boys, even though they're adults now, I know they're Newtons. See, because they they've been made to reflect their family. They've been made to reflect their parents. They can't help it to some extent. None of us can help it to a great extent. And likewise, as followers of Jesus, those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, we've been remade, we've been recreated to reflect the God that we worship, the God who saves us. Spirit residing in us. And as the Spirit begins to work in our hearts and our lives and changing our priorities, we begin to reflect our Maker. We begin to reflect our Savior, and it ought to be so in the church. It's a body of believers. We ought to be people individually as family units and certainly as a church family that reflects Jesus Christ, a portrait of Jesus characterized by teaching and conduct that portrays the mystery of the gospel. Namely, verse 16, that Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh that he was vindicated by the Spirit. They was verified. He was witnessed to by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And he was taken up in glory. Local gatherings. That's what we are. A local gathering of God's people called to reveal Christ's glory 
through the message of the gospel, for we are God's family. We're God's family. Members of God's household. You see, if you know Jesus, you're a part of God's family. He claims you as his own, an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. He says, you are my child. I am your father. These are your brothers and sisters. We are God's family and we are God's dwelling place. We're God's dwelling place. For we are the church of the living God. The church of the living God. The word for church here means assembly or gathering. And the text emphasizes that when we gather, when we come together week after week as we do on Sundays to reflect uh, the, the message that we claim to believe, to reflect a, a risen Savior, to worship and celebrate a risen Savior, when we come together as God's people, He is present. God is with us, our honored guest, the object of our worship, the source of our comfort and hope and our joy We are God's family, we are God's dwelling place, and we see here that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. The pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what Paul says the church is. Meaning that we who comprise the church are charged with the task of protecting and promoting the message of Jesus, i.e. the gospel of grace. This is who we are, and this is what we're called to do, to make much of Jesus in the world. For God designed us, he designed the church and our leadership to display his glory and to declare his gospel. God says this is who we are. We are his and we are to be about him. But the church is his design, his bride, and the object of his affection and love, his unfailing love. So let's be people who love and serve the bride of Christ. Let's love and serve the bride of Christ. Friends, let's love and serve the bride of our Lord. Let's be church people. Of course, no church is perfect. We know this. But because Jesus loves the church, so must we. So let's not be people who sacrifice church for the sake of other things. Let's be people who sacrifice other things for the sake of the church. Let's commit to the bride of Christ. Let's commit to displaying his glory and to declaring his his gospel. So we come together week after week to worship Him. And so fellow pastors among us, and certainly we have some of those fellow pastors, let's practice servant leadership that reflects the character of Jesus. Deacons in this church family continue to be leading servants who know and reflect the goodness of Jesus. In church, congregation, brothers and sisters, let's gather often and let's gather well. For the sake of the glory of Christ, that our lives and our gatherings might be portraits of Christ. Here, for us, and for the world to see. May Jesus, our head, our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, may He be glorified in us. As we transition to a time of response this morning, let me... Let me suggest that you consider, that we all consider our relationship to Christ. Let's reflect on who Christ is and, and where we stand with Him. If you don't know this Christ, then turn to Jesus today. If He's not your head, if He's not your Lord, if He is not the Savior of, of your life, then turn and trust in Him today. The Bible invites us to do so and to know that we have life in Him. 
And secondly, let me encourage you, let me encourage all of us to consider our relationship with His bride, our relationship with the church. Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to Christ? Are you committed to the church? So we consider the scriptures and who Jesus invites us to be and calls us to be and welcomes us to be as this household, this pillar and foundation of the truth, the church of the living God. Let me invite all of us to reflect on those questions. Where do we stand with God? And where do we stand with his church? Let's bow together. And Father, we give you praise today for you are praiseworthy. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who instructs us and who corrects us and who calls us. Lord, you are a God who calls us your own. Who reconciles us to you. Who restores us in a right relationship with you by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Father, we thank you for the cross today. We thank you for the opportunity to be yours. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. We thank you for the joy of, of knowing that, that we are your children. Lord, lead us to rightly reflect on the truths of your word, to rightly respond to Jesus in a way that glorifies you today. Deal with us. And lead us by your spirit to respond in a way that glorifies you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let me invite you to wrestle with these truths and these questions and these relationships this morning. If you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, what it means to be committed to Christ or his church, know, as always, certainly... Uh, I'm available during this time as we respond through song. Love to hear from you, talk with you, pray with you to that end. Certainly available after the service as well in the foyer. But collectively, church, let's all respond as the Lord leads us. Let's stand and praise uh, a risen Savior.
church, let me invite you to be seated uh, where you are this morning as we uh, continue worshiping this morning, as we reflect on the sacrifice uh, of Jesus and the provision of the cross for us. It's our deacons who are serving uh, communion come at this time. Let me invite all of you where you are to consider your relationship with Christ, to continue reflecting on Christ. Uh, Christ instructed his followers, he instructed his disciples, he instructed believers to, uh, to observe communion at the Lord's Supper, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the body broken and the blood spilled for our sins. And so we do that. We have opportunity to do that this morning. This is a mandate for believers. And so if you know Jesus Christ, regardless of your church affiliation or membership or your age, we invite you this morning to take the elements and to remember the body and the blood of Jesus for us. Uh, If you don't know Christ, uh, whether you're young or old, uh, let me encourage you firstly to respond to Jesus today, to trust in the Savior today. He provides life and forgiveness, abundant life here, knowing that we are right with God and eternal life with Him forever and ever. Respond to Jesus today. Repent and trust in the Savior today. If you're wrestling with that question, if you're still wrestling with where you are on that or you don't sense that you are ready to do that, then encourage you to abstain this morning out of reverence for uh, the one that we worship, the Messiah, the one who has saved us. If you have questions about what that means, uh, certainly don't leave this place today uh, without answering those questions, without asking uh, those questions. I'd love to talk with you about that, as uh, would many others in this place and always available after the service uh, near the welcome desk in the foyer. Uh, But as we turn to the table... We serve a God who invites us to the table, a God who invites us to find a a privileged position at the table because of what he has done for us. And so let's celebrate today. Let's remember. Scriptures say that when we uh, take the bread, when we take the cup, we're, we're remembering what Jesus has done and we're worshiping. We're celebrating and we are anticipating the return of our King. So let's celebrate this morning as we remember what He has done for us. Let's bow in prayer together as we give thanks. Lord, may we be a thankful people today. Lord, who are filled with hearts of gratitude because You are a God who provides Lord, You have provided for us in so many ways. We're reminded of that day after day, but Lord, we acknowledge today as people of faith the greatest provision that you have given us is the provision of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for the cross. Forgive us for treating it lightly. Lord, as we remember, as we partake, as we celebrate today, may you speak to us. Lord, may you confront us. May you draw us to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.